What's the thing that scares you the most? Confined spaces and uh, blood particles in the air, the dark, that coral thing that's been staring at me since I came in here. Chris, I'm scared to death. Welcome to the Sum of All Fear podcast, the show that examines real-life phobias and the horror movies that prey on them. So pour yourself something strong, Feardos, and let's find out what makes you afraid. You know, maybe we don't have to go right into the open. Maybe no, we can just do a little just brief deal. Suck it up, Buttercup. Do you think we should go right into it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Welcome to the Sum of All Fear podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Drew, and this is my lovely wife and co-host, Chris. Hey, hey, hey. We want to start off by thanking our friends and listeners who have endured these first couple episodes uh, with all the growing pains and general lack of podcasting skill, uh, which was pretty serious. Um, We also want to thank the people who have reached out to us. We've had quite a few people who have been listening and have been sending us their input, and it's been really helpful. Um, Heath and Brent and Tori and Metal Chris and anybody else you can think of. We've had a handful, so it's it's been really cool. We really appreciate that input. Um, and just to get it out there at the beginning of the episode, we did this at the end of the episode last time, but uh, you can follow us at Some of All Fear Podcast on Facebook, uh, at Some of All Fear Pod, P-O-D, on Twitter. And we're happy to announce that as of like this past week, we're on Apple iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Breaker, we're on Overcast, we're on Radio Public, uh, and a bunch of other platforms. Yoo-hoo! Yeah, so that's pretty sweet. So we... Uh, are available everywhere now, I think, pretty much. Anywhere that's anywhere that you want to listen to a podcast, we're out there. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, please subscribe. Please rate us. Uh, we wouldn't mind if you lied a little bit, um, even, on your ratings. I don't believe in lying. No, lying is a really good but, idea But when DM, it comes to rating this podcast. But DM us first <laughs> and tell us what you really think. And please leave some comments and likes on our social media posts. Um, we'd really love to hear your feedback and chat about the episodes. Um, if you liked our page on Facebook, we've we've got a, a pretty good clan of Facebook folks going now, about 125 um, in the last week that have followed our page, so that's cool. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, we would love for you to see our posts. So if you're not seeing our posts now, please go to our page and hit the follow button so that our posts will actually go onto your feed. You know how that works with Facebook deciding what you uh, get to see. Algorithms. Algorithms and whatnot. Um, And if you're so inclined, share the page around. Invite your friends. We would really appreciate it. Um, If you like the podcast, of course. And I know Chris and I would love to build a a, a cool little community of weirdos. Oh, yes, please. We love weirdos. Weirdos, just like us. uh, That are into all kinds of of weird shit. (laughs) So, um, now that we've got that out of the way, we didn't do our, our, like, you know, cold open. I do have my whiskey again. Uh, I did pour some Rebel Yell at, at Chris's. Chris encouraged me to uh, to be mildly drunk during the episode. No, let's clarify this. Metal Chris encouraged you to be mildly drunk during he the did. episode. He did. He wanted to hear a William, not Chris he wanted Chris. To hear a William Shatner uh, impression, which oh. I, I'm not promising anything. My, my, my Jimmy Stewart is, is pretty bad. My Shatner's even worse. I love your James Stewart. So, um, how's your week been, honey? Really Ship's hectic. passing in the night for yeah. us this week. You know it's been just... Such a crazy week and really felt off too. And I know that we talked about that today, just kind of feeling off kilter, off center. So trying to get back in to step with things lately. The winter does that to me. Like it does it to me every year. And I think honestly, the only season that I feel really 
settled is fall. I don't know why. Fall is like a perfect season for me. Like I don't in between summer and winter, I feel I feel nice and settled. I feel like the only season that you're settled in is fishing season. That's true too. So I wish I whatever wish, season. I wish I could, I wish I could do fish, fishing anymore, but I don't because it's now baseball season in the spring instead of fishing season. So I coach baseball and, and little league, and it takes up uh, like literally every bit of free time that you have in the spring, and most of your free time too. Mm-hmm. So you know it's a tag team effort, but. It's uh, it's a lot of work, but you're back into roller derby again, which has already bruised your ribs. Oh man, yeah. Last week at practice, my first practice back, um, I was doing a drill and I hit a cone and my wheel got stuck and I just face planted and I'm pretty sure that like my my chest is uh, bruised or maybe just my... say it. Your boobs are your boobs are, are beat up. <laughs> my boobs are beat up. Uh, I have seen you take some serious elbows to the tits before. It too. didn't help that that Blocky jumped on me and dogpiled me while I was down, but I couldn't... That's that's Blocky Balboa, by the way. That's yeah. her, her roller derby name. Uh, Blocky Balboa, yeah. which is pretty badass. Blocky Balboa. Um, and so, yeah, it didn't help, but I love I love Blocky's dogpiles, and I'm just glad she's back. Yeah. I like it. So, yeah, so we've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff this week. Um, I want to get another article going. I, I wrote that top 10 horror movie article for the website, uh, for the sumofallfearpodcast.com website. Uh, go check it out. We only have a few things up there right now, but you can check out the podcast on there, um, and one article. Um, but this week, I would I, we we watched Bird Box yesterday, uh, yeah. which has been a. I hate movies that just become such big movies like instantly, and everybody's writing about them. And people on Facebook who don't like horror, all of a sudden are like, "Hey, have you seen this Bird Box movie?" Snob. And I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna snob. hate this. I'm going to hate this movie. And I listened to a couple podcasts this week and there were some mixed reviews and some people really liked it. Some people didn't like it. Um, I have my own critique of it that I'll probably write on, uh, on the website this week. So look I out am, for that. I am more um, intrigued to read the book because mm-hmm. I feel like the movie fell flat where it could have absolutely soared. Yeah, um, and we talked yeah. about that last yeah. night. There's a couple the of things that I was that I there was some things that I really liked about it, and there were some things that I was like, man, they could have done so oh. much more with this storyline, you know. You and I haven't walked, read the book. Yeah, but. you could have walked away from that storyline just feeling gut wrenchingly. Um, uh, what's that field of philosophy? Um, like Not existential, neo- like existential, yeah, yeah like, like that like sense an ex- of existential well, dread. You know, and there was a lot of opportunities to kind of get a little deeper and talk, mm-hmm. maybe like something that's a little more supernatural or spiritual or religious, and kind of mix in some philosophy things in there. That in- instead, they really didn't explain any of the the kind of what was going on behind the apocalypse. It was right. just kind of thrown out there you know there was really a brief section where they kind of threw in something that they was threw very, in everything they, every, yeah they threw in everything but the kitchen sink but really yeah. gave no actual it was very postmodern aliens them. i don't know maybe it's religion i don't know yeah it was very postmodern it was like everything everything caused this i don't know yeah. what it was it was called this in different cultures but here it is and and that was the only explanation they gave which i thought was kind of anyways this isn't a breakdown of bird box we will i will write that uh, this week though now i have to because i said it yep so it has to be done it is decided um, but let's go ahead instead of rambling for too long. Uh, let's get into uh, let's get into our trivia game. What the fear? Can you say it again? What the fear? <laughs> our new <laughs> trivia game. What the fear? Which I did uh, terribly on last time. So bad. I was so disappointed in myself. Um, and my brother uh, uh, called shout me. out to Heath. Yeah, Heath. Uh, my brother Heath uh, uh, messaged me and was gloating that he got two out of three. Um, 
So, which, but nobody was there to confirm. So I will neither confirm nor deny that that actually occurred. But, anyways, let's get into let's get into the trivia game. Can confirm. You can't um, confirm. Can confirm. Um, okay, so your first fear is isoptrophobia. Ooh, spell that one for me. Isoptrophobia. E I S O P T R O phobia. Isoptrophobia. 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 Oh, isoptrophobia. Something to do with the fear of misunderstanding. No, the fear of books. Something about books or something about misunderstanding. Wow, you're way off. My way off? You're really Ice, off. E-I-S? Isoptrophobia. It comes uh. from the Greek uh, root isoptro, meaning mirror. Oh, isoptro yeah, with a P. Isoptro. Oh, I didn't, I, I didn't hear it right. Isoptrophobia. Um, isoptrophobia. isoptrophobia. Wait, hold on. Give me one more second. E-I-S-O-P. Mm-hmm. Isoptrophobia. T-R-O. Phobia. Isoptrophobia. And it's E-I-S. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, sorry. The fear of... I love making you feel inadequate. I really, really, really do. Next time I'm going to make it the fear of inadequacy. <sighs> <laughs> All right, what's the... Speaking de- of which... What's the definition? No, it's not the definition. It's um, this really interesting tie to isoptrophobia is... Pamela Anderson suffers from esoptrophobia. She refuses to watch herself on tape. You know, of Baywatch and porn fame. <laughs> Pamela Anderson? Softcore. Yeah. Softcore. So, I don't know. Yeah, pretty, pretty softcore. Was, she didn't have any hardcore. Well, it, there, uh, there it was... It was pretty hard. Ah. <laughs> that was terrible. That was really bad. Oh, so, shut up. Um, um, that was the Tommy Lee video, though. I mean, that brought me into adulthood. Yeah. Uh, you know, brought me into manhood as a child. That would have been around that time. So isoptrophobia. Let's, so yeah, let's, let's, she, uh, let's she has a lot out. of trouble with reflections, um, seeing herself on TV. She does not like mirrors. I don't know how she manages it with the, you know, acting job that she does. But So is, um, it, is it a reflection or is it either or? It doesn't matter. Um, it's a reflection, and so, it, more specifically, isoptrophobia is the fear of the reflection of whatever you see in yourself in the mirror. Interesting. Uh, so, does so? What's the root of of that? What's I, What's did you look at that up at all? The root. The root of isoptrophobia. Yeah, it's. I already told you this. Oh, did you? It's for I the, totally missed. It's for the Greek word isop, which means mirrors. Oh, which means mirrors. Yeah. Or huh. mirror. I would have thought that would have been like aclophobia or oc- there is well, an aclophobia that is a fear, there is a of, catoptra- is fear of mirrors. There is a catoptrophobia. You know how many of these phobias have kind of dual meanings, uh, not dual meanings, but dual uh, definitions or um, hmm. Interesting. titles. Well, an aclophobia was the first one that we did on darkness, right. but I was thinking of with an O, oh, like I'm oculus, sorry. like yeah. oc. Interesting. So, okay, what's the second one? Let's move on. So, Let's move right along here. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm O for one already. I, know. I was. Way off on that one. Okay, here's another. I was thinking one. of ice, I, I, E-I-S, There's ice. There's a word called eisegesis, which means like the the reading into of a text, like reading wrong into a text, um, reading your own views into into mm. something. That'd be interesting to see if anybody had a phobia about that. Uh, anyways, your next phobia is entomophobia. E N T A M A phobia. 
Entomophobia. E-N-T-A-M-A. Entoma. Entomophobia. Has nothing to do with enemas. No, not it's not enemophobia. It's not enemophobia? Not enemophobia. I think I might have enemophobia. Maybe next week we'll do enemophobia. Ent- entomophobia. Um, the fear of bugs crawling in your ear. No, no. I, I see where you would get the etymology. Like, try to pull that root of entomology. Entomological. Entomological. Um, but no, it's actually the fear of doors or of moving doors. Um, of doors? Of doors. So, um, so like, so, so the revolving doors would give you a lot of Right, lot the revolving of doors <laughs> uh, invented by Theophilus Van Cannel in 1888. Um, they were, you know, originally built as storm doors um, in rectors in Times Square. And um, he built these doors in order to avoid chivalry. And what so you didn't I mean, have to hold, hold doors so open? So he didn't have to hold open doors for women <laughs> or an, fight other men to do it. What an asshole. He made a revolving door. And now Matthew McConaughey of all right, all right, all right is, fame. Is not all right with moving doors? Is not all right with revolving doors. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Does, now, now what about moving doors like in the grocery store? Like doors that automatically open. Does, that, um, does it include that too? No. I guess if you had a problem with that, you would probably it, 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 it would probably would. be called the same thing, right? But the revolving door piece in particular? is is also really um, it pairs well with agoraphobia and claustrophobia. You know, the fear of getting caught inside getting of the revolving yeah. door. It, that does not surprise me because they are kind of creepy. Of movie scenes where arms and limbs are chopped off by revolving doors, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. Matthew McConaughey struggles with revolving doors. Okay, are you ready for your final one? I'm over two. I'm I'm in, I'm guessing that I'm probably going to be over three most of the time. So what the fear, man? <laughs> it's forking embarrassing. It is forking embarrassing. Forking embarrassing. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Lepido, lepidopterophobia. Lepidopterophobia. Spell it. L e p i d o p t e R-O-phobia. Lepidopterophobia. The fear of blood coming out of your feet. Man, weirdly specific. Yeah, well, I no. was trying to break down <laughs> both sections. Of and word. very wrong. I figured it was. Wow. I don't know. Hey, I've had plenty of hangnails on my toes where it started to bleed. It's not pleasant. Your thought process on these is fascinating. <laughs> lipids lipid <laughs> that's, that's where you went and patero <laughs> is like pedia like 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 a, like i was thinking poder like podero tarot from the the root for fly patero oh okay root for fly well, that nicole kidman she's afraid of butterflies butterflies the pit of paterophobia she's a, afraid of you, butterflies. you're saying that to me like i should know come on man this. i'm even doing the italian hand like the come on yeah. I would have never gotten that in a million years. I know, um, not I in a million mean, years. So she's so so. Nicole Kidman is scared of has a fear of butterflies. Yes, fear of butterflies. Uh, she said when she was a child, she would come home after school and she would see a butterfly or a moth um, on her fence. And this is you know New Zealand or Australia, one of the two. Um, Where is she from? One of those. And uh, she would run around the backside of the house, uh, avoid the fence, climb over the fence in another part just to get away 
from the butterfly. Um, she said that once she tried to overcome this fear by kind of immersing herself um, at the American Museum of National History, she went into the butterfly cage exhibit and let them land on her. Uh, but, and I quote, she still hates the feel of butterfly bodies. Ew. <laughs> like, you put it that way. When you say it like that. You say that, it like that. Like, oh, sounds, sounds terrible. Oh. But I mean, really, what's the difference between a spider and a butterfly? There's not much. They both have little legs and they're all crawling on you. They're, they're pretty to us. Yeah. But, but I mean, to somebody who has a fear of it, I suppose One they look just One was born an ugly ass spider and the other was born a caterpillar and struggled to become something beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Respect for butterflies. Oh, everywhere. what the fear is going to be the bane of my existence, and it's going to just make me look like an idiot every single week, isn't it? Please make sure to post, if you uh, played along with us, how you guessed at what the fear. I've got to start. I've got to hear that. I've got to start getting less, less, stop thinking about the Jeez. roots so much and just throwing something out there. Most of these. Like the fear of grapes. Most of these are. Talking grapes, like last week. Yeah, <laughs> talking grapes. <laughs> oh, I got a funny story about that one. So the fear of talking food, uh, he, uh, Heath again, my brother, uh, sent me something and said, oh man, I just want to post California Raisins videos on Kira Sedgwick's Facebook page now. And I said, I said, oh, that's funny. You must have read the, you know, seen the interview that he did with, with was it Conan or Jay Leno mm -hmm. or something um, that Kevin Bacon did about his wife because he specifically mentioned California Raisins, but Heath didn't know that. He was just, that was like his example. <laughs> Which I, I thought was great. He's a the best talking kid. food. Yeah. Oh, hey, we've been raised on California raisins. All right. Well, I think it's time to get into uh, into our our episode here. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it's it. It's time for episode three, and we're gonna be diving into aerophobia and 1983's Twilight Zone the movie. Are you ready for aerophobia? I'm. I'm ready. Aerophobia. Okay, let me give you the quick definition. Our phobia today is aerophobia, and it is the fear of flying, which you probably could have... Now, if you give me one like that, I probably could have figured it or out. Or aviophobia. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, you don't ever pick any easy ones that I could look at and go, oh, that's that. Um, aerophobia is the fear of flying, or more specifically, the fear of being on an airplane, helicopter, or other flying vehicle, and is also referred to as aviophobia. Mm -hmm. um, and etymologically, it comes from the Greek Eros, eros, uh, meaning simply air, uh, or in the modern usage, aircraft. So, Chris, tell us about today's phobia. <laughs> today's phobia. Today's phobia. We we talked about how it literally is kind of the modern day phobia. Um, it's something that did not come about, or we don't see mentioned uh, before. Well, it didn't exist before the invention yeah. of flight, right? Yeah, before World War One, we don't see it mentioned, um, and it was first noted in a UK biomedical literature um, about trauma related to flying, um, and they called it aeropsychosis. And this was in world after World War One, yes. correct? Yes. And then we see it uh, more commonly discussed, very en vogue in the 1950s, you know, the height of flying as we're going into the 60s. Um, Keep going. Nowadays, <laughs> it affects roughly 12 and a half million Americans. Sorry, I was worried we weren't recording anymore. That's why my fear, my fear jumped in there. I had a fear that we weren't recording anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It affects, Keep going. It affects roughly two to six and a half percent of the population um, experiences some form of aviophobia or uh, some form of 
Um, so it's similar to, to fear of heights. Correct. As far as the, yes. the percentages, right? I mean, it's it's about the same. It's so it's pretty it's pretty common. It's another one that's fairly common. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that's a clinical diagnosis, but probably, I don't know. I I would guess well, fifty percent of us have a fear of flying. So. Most people. <laughs> There's most a lot of people. people tend to experience some sort of anxiety um, about flying or when flying. You it know? doesn't seem right. God, if God had intended us to fly, He would have given us. Frickin' wings. Right. And we talked about in the height episode, proprioception or the body's sense of, or the brain's sense of the body's position in space and how much that must mess with our brain's sense of where the body is in space. Um, Being so high up there, going so fast. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that doesn't uh, help things very much when it comes to anxiety. Not at all. Not at all. Um. But the chances of a crash are relatively low. You know, one in a million, one in eleven million. Excuse me. Um, well, we know, and we know this is we know phobias typically mm-hmm. are irrational. Right. So the fear of flying, you kind of start diving into the history there. We've got this this World War One. We've got these pilots coming back from the very, really the first people to ever really fly a whole lot, mm-hmm. right, were these World War One pilots. And they came back with this, what was it, uh, air psychosis? Aero, aeropsychosis, I believe. Aeropsychosis. So so they're they're coming back. They're all having some PTSD. They're having some issues. They're, they're dogfighting. They're doing all kinds of weird, crazy yeah, shit up there, too. Yeah, they've seen some things. Um, so what is it that, as it, as it develops through you know history and now where we are today with modern travel, what is it that people experience when they have to fly or when they think about flying or how far do people go to avoid flying (laughs) which one of those do you want me to answer all of them ah man okay so much pressure (laughs) um well first of all it comes about like any other fear it can happen um, vicariously, where you see something that is really traumatic, like 9-11. We saw a resurgence, especially from pilots and um, civilians, of uh, aerophobia because there was this tension about flying now. It, was, it felt unsafe mm-hmm. because of the tragedies that occurred. And so um, it can be brought about by exposure to those uh, things, um, it can be brought about by vicarious exposure, so you don't even have to experience it. You can just experience it secondhand and watch it. So um, if you're watching a movie or something, like we'll get into later, it, right. it, it might trigger it might trigger that fear. Right, it could also trigger that fear. Um, and then I actually can, experienced that a little bit actually. I'll, really? I'll talk about that later. That's interesting. It can be passed down um, from generations too, as we're learning more and more nowadays about post-traumatic stress and how it actually affects the genes on a cellular level, and is passed down from generation to generation and gives those future generations a predisposition uh, to you know low, to- low tolerance to anxiety related to these things um so we see it affect people on on a cellular level um any phobia really once it gets to that extreme um so specifically aerophobia mm-hmm. uh where do where does so we were talking about how technology right so when technology starts to expand and we start seeing new inventions we see new things being you know coming about the the you know a miracle of, of flight and all these uh, wonderful inventions, the, the vehicle. Now we have, these things all create new phobias. Mm-hmm. 
they didn't they didn't exist before. So now they're you know we see that with technology too. You know we got all these Black Mirror episodes that show us a, a whole slew of things we should be terrified about. Yeah. Um, in all those episodes, so there's actually so flying's kind of like that. There's actually a fear of not being in reception with your phone. With your phone, yeah. yeah. And, and it causes this intense anxiety, you know, similar symptoms. It's still, you know, an anxiety disorder, um, fast heart rate, um, sweating, palpitations, uh, difficulty breathing, racing thoughts. Um, I mean, you name it, it can, it can cause it, um, cause it's just that anxiety reaction and it pairs really well again with other, um, phobias or anxiety disorders like agoraphobia, um, or which is the fear of open spaces and the right. fear of or or the fear of crowds it can be either or right which which i have a very deep family history of my, mm-hmm. my mother has it i have an aunt that has it an uncle that has it um and i probably haven't experienced it myself uh, you know from time to time too so another family connection where there's multiple people who have the same phobia but i can see where i know that she was never comfortable flying mm-hmm. when i was growing up and even back when you could smoke on a plane, she would chain smoke in the back of the plane um, to try to get through a flight. I read an article about uh, flying in the 1960s and how the flight industry uh, used smoking to kind of cloud people's vision of of basically their own anxiety while flying. So to make it more luxurious and kind of take away from the fact that we're not supposed to be hurtling through space like this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it tends to cause some natural anxiety because physics yeah you know? yeah my, i have a really interesting story about my dad my dad had a friend that uh or a guy a co-worker a guy that he worked with and they used to fly uh, my dad was an aerospace engineer actually interestingly enough um but he had to fly all over the place he had to fly to washington dc all the time he had to fly to, to alaska a lot so he was constantly flying for business uh he had a guy that he worked with that was was so nervous about flying and also such a nervous smoker and, and needed that, that cigarette to calm himself down that in order for him to get to his destination, like say he was flying to Washington DC, he couldn't fly a direct flight, a nonstop flight from like LAX to Washington DC. He would get three, four, even five layovers on purpose. Wow. So he could never go longer than like an hour without landing and having a cigarette. Wow. Isn't that crazy? When they outlawed smoking, because back, you know, I'm sure when they outlawed it, on airplanes, it was a major issue for yeah, a lot of smokers because that was their that was their their way that they coped with you know c- cigarettes or, or a way to cope with you know stressors. Mm-hmm. So to not have that and not be able to do that while you're smoking when you had already for who knows how many years that was a major issue for this guy. And he was an aerospace engineer. Sure. So he knew everything that could go wrong. Right. Which, which, is, <laughs> which is also my dad, too. Which is funny because a, we see with uh, aerophobia that it tends to show up in kind of two types. The first type is the folks that believe, like, flying is unsafe because physics, again, you know, we're not supposed to be able to do this. It's this not right. doesn't seem right. It ain't right. right. It ain't right. It's not natural. <laughs> it's it ain't right. right. I don't like it. And then we have the second classification of folks who tend to have um, more of an anxiety based on being trapped in a closed situation, Mm -hmm. either closed up high or um, somewhere that they can't get out of or somewhere where something embarrassing might happen. Like you have to use the bathroom, you vomit, um, you know, the baby starts screaming and you feel a lot of embarrassment, something like that, um, that you just can't avoid. Now, would that still be considered aerophobia? 
Or yes. is it or is it or is it aerophobia like with like a secondary phobia of blah 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 blah? Well, okay, so in order to be the primary, it has to be the thing that causes um that reaction. It's not consistent over time. So if this person um doesn't have a fear of vomiting, say on the ground, you know, they're just like, ew, that's gross. But then in the air, they're very afraid of vomiting. Mm-hmm. Then we go, okay, this is not related to the vomiting. It's related to where she's at or what's going on when this idea about vomiting comes up that makes her so anxious. So it's it's more about the the anxiety of being trapped somewhere that you can't get out of, that you're in this situation and being in this situation that causes right. this this tension right this anxiety mm-hmm. i think that's really interesting it's something that i've experienced not necessarily on a plane but you brought this up the other day when we were talking about this when i was in college you know i'd get like bubble gut mm-hmm. or something like that when i whenever i was in a situation like a quiet classroom um, i'd always have to sit in the back but if i was in a meeting or something where it was like a small room with a, a few people um, I would be so uncomfortable and I, my stomach would start gurgling. It would sound like I was ripping gnarly farts, but oh. I wasn't because it was all internal. It was all in my stomach, but it just caused me so much anxiety. Um, and I actually got diagnosed with like a stomach issue because in, in college and it was all, it turns out it was all anxiety. You know, it well, wasn't anything else. Think about what was going on for you in college. You know, you were wrestling with so much. There, there was a lot of um, tension in your mind and in your heart. Um, and well, just I think just I think in college in general, everybody is going through peer pressure right. and they're going through issues with with dealing with being accepted and all of the things that come with being you know in high school and college that you're dealing with. And I think it hit me the hardest in college because I was in a new situation. High school, I was pretty familiar with everybody that you know kind of grew up with people. Right. Wasn't as big of a deal. College, I was thrown into a situation where I didn't know anybody, and you know all those anxieties come on. Right. Uh, but but I can and, see that being something in a plane where you're uncomfortable and you're getting all of this wave of anxiety about, I can't get away mm-hmm. from this situation. What if this person next to me and this person over here? And our phobias, uh, or in our fears, I should just say, um, tend to worsen with stress too. So they become more intense, more uh, frequent, more sure. you know severe. And um, yeah, I think of you and how your fear of flying kind of developed. Um, when would you say that you first realized like, oh man, I'm flying is now a, a little bit terrifying to me? Yeah, it never got, it never got, I mean, it still isn't crazy. Like I can still fly, but uh, there, was a, there was a time, I think I would say probably around, I think we were, I figured out it was, it was, it was after I turned 30. Um, I already had a kid. Um, but after, I think after this, they got a little older and I was kind of moving into my thirties a little bit, it definitely got worse. And I think the fear for me, it was the, it was, there's two points that I think really started to come on. I don't think I cared as much in my twenties, didn't have as much connection to, you know, I didn't have any kids, didn't have as much connection to, to other people. It wasn't like I could just fly by myself. It was no big deal. Now when I fly by myself, all I think about is, is, you know, you and the kids and people and you know, what if, what if, what if, what if. What could happen if I'm flying by myself? If you're if you're with me, no big deal. Great. Yeah, you guys can all go down in flames with Thanks me, for and the we're death good. Sentence. When, when we went to Dallas earlier, we, we flew to Dallas earlier in the year, and it was fine. I had no I had no problems at all because you guys were all with me. If I'm going so, down, you guys are coming. Yeah, down as too. long as everybody goes down in flames together, I think I'm good. Um, but also, I think there's that fear of loss of control, um, which oh. really is a big issue for me because I don't like people. I don't like other people driving. You know, I like to be the one in control. I like to be the one in control of of the thing that's moving me, that's 
flying me through the air, you know, at 500 miles an hour. And flying is kind of a magnet to all of these vulnerabilities we have. It exacerbates things, you know, it puts a little bit of tension on, on you that can really bring these things out. That fear of loss of control, that kind of existential um, panic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that just waves over you when those situations occur. So, do you think there's any movies about fear of flying? <laughs> we watched a shit ton of them this week. We did. We watched a lot of fear of flying movies. Is there anything else you want to say about this phobia clinically before we dive into our our movie section of this of this uh, this deal of aerophobia? Sure. So there are some celebrity case studies oh, out there. Yes, please, um, please. Wes Anderson actually goes to Europe. Well, he's a weirdo boat. anyway. We know that. Yeah. You know. Um, by boat? He goes to Europe by boat? By boat. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul once turned down an invite to perform for Prince Albert of Monaco at a Red Cross ball, citing that she would work on her fear to him as the uh, the rationale. And our friend Bob Newhart uh, of Mad TV psychiatrist fame uh, is also afraid of flying so i think he he should just stop it he should stop it so i should just stop it there you go i mean you 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 don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box do you i mean that sounds sounds frightening (laughs) then stop it i can't i mean it's been with me since childhood no 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 we 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 don't go there just just stop no 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 we don't go there (laughs) Mm. so these folks really uh should look into a couple of things if you're struggling with flying um i recommend um no matter what severity you have um a struggle with flying go ahead and check out the mobile app um sky guru Uh, It gives you pre and during flight information. It has sensors to educate passengers as flight uh, patterns occur and provides calming messages. So it really educates you about what's going on. Why are we moving slower? Why are the wings dipping this way? Why did we just drop altitude? Mm. You know, what's the pilot's rationale? That's really cool. I would really enjoy that because knowledge is the thing that bothers me the most. I don't know. I don't know why we just went down or why we moved to the right or why we moved to the left or... Right. That's really cool. Right. I'll have to check um, that out. Another suggestion. Uh, Sky Guru? Sky Guru.com or is it just uh, an it's app? It's a mobile app. An app. Yeah, it's a mobile app. Um, the other thing that you'll want to check out is um, recommended highly watching flight patterns uh, in the days or weeks before your own flight. Uh, you can Google, uh, you know, flight patterns online and just watch the flight patterns during a day and how many planes take off and their past and how many things don't go wrong in order to kind of normalize that fear of all of the things that should go wrong. I don't know if that would help me because I have you looked either. at the freaking flight patterns of those planes? Like when they when you see all the planes in the air, like they always, they always do it around the holidays when everybody's flying. Right. They show you how many planes are in the air at one time and you're like, how no. are they not running into each other? They're Everyone's everywhere. Crash. Exactly. They're everywhere. I think I think uh, 
Yeah, I think Sky Guru is going to be more up your alley. That's a great. That's a great app. Very yeah. cool. So that's just to get you through uh, again graduated exposure therapy, uh, EMDR, CBT, virtual reality, kind of just like heights can also oh, yeah. help with um, fear of flying again. If you actually fear the sensation of flying or something about flying, if you fear vomiting on a flight, I'm not sure if that's going to work for you. But, you know, find a therapist that really knows their stuff. Well, it's interesting, uh, too, just a quick mention. You have the fear of heights, which we talked about last, yeah. last episode, but you do not have a fear of flying. So no. it is not, it's not necessarily hand in hand. So acrophobia and aerophobia are, can, be, can be exclusive. Like, you don't have to have both. You right. can. There are people who have both. But it's not necessarily true that people who have aerophobia are also afraid of heights. I'm also claustrophobic, but it doesn't bother me it doesn't in bother an airplane. You. That's that's so interesting. So it's so it, it's definitely like there are just the, the brain as is just a fucked up place. <laughs> like we have learned this I time and time it. again. I love it. It's so fascinating and it confuses the hell out of me. Like what that doesn't make any sense. Why? You will hear us say that time and time again. This the brain is just a very fucked up place and and we are here to, we're not going to unfuck it, but we will, uh, we were going to, we're going to try to do our best to uh, just talk about how crazy it is because mm-hmm. it's, it's a nutty place. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about movies. 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 Uh, we gorged ourselves on some freaking plane movies this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I did. You, you, you passively watched a few of them. <laughs> I watched the important ones. You watched the important ones. Uh, the other the other day, uh, I I woke up at like four in the morning and binge watched a couple because I couldn't get back to sleep, so I I, I knocked a few out there. Um, but as you know, our whole our whole philosophy here at uh, Some of All Fear is to talk about these phobias, uh, and then we want to talk about the uh, the pop culture side of side of it, the the less scary side of <laughs> well, the more scary side in some know. cases I depends don't know. on. Our um, how you look film at it vicariously traumatized me again. Mm. Like I had that rush of fear when seeing the movie again. See, you know what's funny is well no, that was that was not our feature film. Oh my gosh, you're right. That wasn't our feature film. That, that wasn't was our feature film. Mention. That was an honorable sorry, mention film. So we we've decided now that in our third episode, we've we've tried to get some structure to this uh this this thing. Uh we decided our our first section of movies will be honorable mentions where we'll talk about uh, those movies that touched on the phobia but didn't make our, our final feature presentation. And then we'll have our feature presentation, which will be the one that will you know, kind of break down the most. Um, although it's really hard not to dive into some of these honorable mentions a little bit deeper, too. So, you know, it's going to be fluctuating. Whatever. Fuck it. It's, it's just, you know, us and, and four of my drinking buddies listening. So, so we're good. Um, so the first one... That we'll talk about. Actually, I don't want to dig into this one yet. Let's dig into this one later. Let's talk about the really bad ones first. Because I had a couple of bad ones this week that I was like, you know what? I got to watch these. I've never seen them before. Uh, but they are on planes and Snakes on a Plane was not one of them. <laughs> um, we did not. I don't know if we'll tackle Snakes on a Plane during the snake episode. Again. Um, but I've you, never seen it. Again, so. are you afraid of snakes in general? Across situations, or are you just afraid of, of snakes? Snakes, uh, snakes on a motherfucking on a plane. Motherfucking plane. <laughs> That's a big difference. That would be. I don't know. Aerophobia. I don't know. I wanted to get to it just to see if how see if it touched if it touched uh, touched on this phobia at all, but I didn't get to it. I've never seen it uh, as much as it's been a 
cultural icon. I feel I feel a little bit inadequate that I haven't seen Snakes on a Plane. But the first one I want to talk about, though, for honorable mentions uh, is the 1973 made-for-TV movie, The Horror at 37,000 Feet. This was super cheesy. But when I saw it, I was like, fuck, I've got to see this movie. Um, never heard of it before. Uh, but this movie was... <laughs> it was it was a typical early 70s made-for-TV movie. It was great. Um, it was starring Chuck Connors, uh, the rifleman, was the pilot, um, who was also in Tourist Trap, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Uh, Russell Johnson, who is the professor from Gilligan's Island, was the co-pilot. Uh, William Shatner, William Shatner, was an angsty, drunk ex-priest who had lost his faith. Uh, was that good? Chris, Metal Chris, not so good. I'm only two whiskeys deep. My Shatner was not good at all. Uh, Buddy Epson, uh, who was Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies, and Paul Winfield. So the, stack, the cast was freaking stacked in this thing. I mean, you can't get more you know, early 70s uh, recognizable people than those guys which is hilarious, but it was, it was really, really bad. bad. <laughs> um, I was kind of going into it hoping it would be like bad good, but it was really just pretty bad. Was that the one that you were watching really early in the morning when I was sleeping? No, that was a different one. Oh, okay. um, no, uh, Horror at 37,000 Feet I watched like a week ago, and it was uh, basically the, the, the concept behind this movie was uh, there was a couple on the plane some rich couple that was an, she was an heiress of some kind of, of property over in Europe, uh, in England, I think. And she wanted to have a piece of this church or monastery that was on their property or something uh, that she was going to take back to the States with her. And so they loaded on this plane and it was incredibly heavy. It was so heavy uh, that they could only have 10 passengers on the plane because the weight requirements required that they only have 10 passengers. So, you know, you had, and those 10 passengers ended up being, you know, the cast that I mentioned and the pilots and whatnot. Um, but this thing was, was, was haunted, this piece of this artifact. And so these weird druids, these druid ghosts took over the plane and haunted, uh, you know, haunted them and they had to figure out how to sacrifice them. At one point they, at one point they sacrificed a, a, a baby doll to see if they could trick the ghosts, which didn't work. Huh. Um, it was it was great. So unintended hilarity ensues. Check it out; it's pretty hilarious. The other cheesy one I watched was at at uh, at five in the morning, and it was called Flight Six Six Six, which was a two thousand eighteen movie uh, that basically there was a serial killer is unknowingly on a plane, and when the plane starts having malfunctions, passengers start seeing the ghosts of the dead women that this serial killer killed off. Um, leading them eventually to realize that the pilot was the serial killer. And here's a little tip for Flight 666. Uh, if you're on a plane and you find out the pilot is the serial killer, don't confront him until you get on the ground because he's the guy who needs to land the plane. Uh, bad idea. So that one was, was uh, it was actually not as bad as I thought it would be. It was actually not a, you know, for, for a somewhat B movie, it was, a, it was pretty well done. I was, I was entertained the entire time. So it wasn't too bad. The other one that we we that I watched at four in the morning was not really a horror movie. And this was, I had a hard time with this one because this one honestly was the one that I wanted to choose for our feature presentation, but I just could not justify it because it just, and I know Vertigo last week kind of 
horror. It's not really a horror movie either. It's a psychological thriller, but it's Hitchcock, so fuck you. I don't care. I had this argument on Twitter uh, with somebody about Vertigo being uh, not a horror movie. And I, I get it. I know it's not one of his technical horror movies, but it's, you know, anything to me that's Hitchcock is pretty freaking horror. Um, horror-ish, anyway. Yeah, he's kind of the, the epitome. I would say. I mean, you know, I know it's not, you know, there's nothing like, super scary in vertigo unless of course you have a fear of heights um but it's you know to me it's hitchcock so whatever um but the movie that i wanted to that i really wanted to do for this was alive uh, which you haven't seen alive alive is is the 1993 american biographical survival drama film uh which details a uruguayan 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 you had a uruguayan Uruguayan. Uruguayan rugby teams crash aboard Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571 into the Andes Mountains on Friday, October 13th, 1972, which is a true story. Uh, it's terrifying. Uh, probably, in my opinion, the most terrifying crash scene that I've ever seen in a movie. And I remember, and maybe it's because of some kinder trauma that I had, but I watched this movie. I believe if I didn't see it in the theater, I saw it right when it got released to video and I was about 12 maybe. Um, and it really was, was impactful um, to the point where when, when I woke up at four in the morning and decided to turn it on, uh, the crash scene had me like gripping the sheets like I realized I was all tensed up you were white knuckling I was literally white knuckling like I was sitting there and I was physically nervous Reacting, yeah. and anxiety was like gripping me watching this scene and it's a really terrifying scene like they're flying through the Andes Mountains everything's fine the rugby team's having a blast and they're throwing the ball around they're all excited about their match coming up in Chile and and then all of a sudden they start hitting some rough weather and you start looking out you see the peaks you know of the mountains um, and then the pilots start going through this storm and then they're in clouds and then all of a sudden it clears up just for a second and you see them plowing into like the, the Andes Mountains. like a peak. Yeah. Like coming in too low on a peak and clipping it. And then you see the tail flying off and all this crazy shit going on. And then, uh, the back of the plane disappears. So a bunch of people die, but then the few, the, the main part of the plane in the front and the middle, I guess. Uh, go careening down this mountain like a sled and then end up st stuck in the Andes uh, mountains, way up in the in the mountains. And, and a bunch of people survive, a bunch of people die. Um, but one of the most terrifying crash scenes ever, like truly gave me uh, like aerophobia just watching it, like you were talking about earlier, like just watching that movie. Vicarious traumatization. Totally gave me, yeah, gave me a fear of flying. I mean, obviously it wasn't at the traumatization level, but... It definitely activated all of that in your brain, and your brain, you know, is reacting very readily to it. It's crazy, and honestly, I I, I would suspect that most people, when they watch a scene like that, especially an intense one that's sure. realistic and you know it's a true story, would probably have that reaction, right? Mm -hmm. And then it goes on, and and I don't know if this makes it a horror movie or not, but they end up eating each other for survival, right? I mean, uh, that's pretty horror. pretty pretty jacked Horrible. up. Horrible, but. They lasted 74 days in the mountains, in the Incredible. snow, in wow. the weather, 74 days by eating their dead, and 16 of them ended up being rescued. So oh, if you haven't heard that story, gosh. I highly recommend Alive. It's a 
It's a really, it's, it's got Ethan Hawke in it, who is definitely a vampire, because that guy looks exactly the same now that he did back then, which was 20-whatever years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, and um, John Malkovich is the narrator. So there's, there's just, just some good stuff. It's a great movie. Check it out. Sorry I broke that down so long. but um, Oh, and also, it was directed by Frank Marshall, um, who did Back to the Future. Um, he produced Back to the Future and Indiana Jones and Poltergeist. Um, he only directed like a few movies, like three or four. One of them is Alive. The other one is Arachnophobia. Oh, later. So we will yeah, definitely be hitting we'll on, on uh, some Frank Marshall Arachnophobia a little later on. Um, so those are my honorable mentions for Fear Flying. Oh, we did not get to the last one. Yeah. We have to talk to that, about that one. Sorry, we got to get to that one. Where's my honorable mention? Yeah, so... Uh, the one that you guys probably are most familiar with. And the one that gave me that kind of flooding, vicarious traumatization feeling that I felt and remember feeling the first time I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, Alexa, play John Denver's Rocky Mountain High. <sighs> Rocky Mountain High by John Denver, starting now on Amazon Music. Come on. <laughs> All right. All right, Alexa, stop. Damn it, she doesn't listen to me. Alexa, stop. There we go. She stopped. Um, that movie certainly could have been called, uh, like, Don't Listen to John Denver. Or uh, When You Hear John Denver, Get the Fuck Out. Um, that could have been the... John the, Denver the, Death Harbinger. <laughs> John Denver Death Harbinger. Um, because every time they heard John Denver in this movie, and this was every time. By the way, this was uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, Final Destination, horrible, came out in in the year two thousand, uh, which was which was perfect because I was I think I was a freshman in high in the college freshman I was college, and you were twelve. Yeah, you were about right at that perfect age to see. No, it. I'm sorry, fourteen. Yeah, so you were you were in that that awesome time to see a good horror movie. It, um, it scarred me for a long time, and I. I hadn't seen it since then, and we watched it the other day, and I was so into it. I was sitting up on the couch, all tensed up, like you mentioned earlier, and I didn't notice how tense I was until I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, my arms are sore. And I was just so tense from watching that first opening scene and remembering watching that first open scene and how I felt back then. I have a confession to make. I honestly, after watching the first one, uh, I think I realized that I had never seen the original. I'd seen two. I've seen three. I don't think I'd ever seen the original, at least not all the way through. Because, right. you know, you, you, I'm sure it was on, you know, TBS off and on. And I, I, there, were, there were scenes that I remembered. But if you're not familiar with Final Destination, the beginning section is what is what we was what is related to uh, aerophobia. Uh, high school students board a plane bound for Paris for a class trip when one student has a premonition of an impending explosion on takeoff. Uh, plus some John Denver music is playing when he's waiting to get on. Here's Rocky Mountain High while he's in the bathroom before he gets on the plane, mm-hmm. um, which he goes, he, sees, he goes, John Denver, plane crash. 
<laughs> so that's the that's the that's the John Denver connection is that John Denver died in a plane crash. So every time they heard John Denver, they knew shit was gonna go down. Oh, did you not? I did not catch know that. that. <laughs> oh, that makes it so worse. I just didn't like the association. You didn't catch that that connection. I didn't like the association of the song because then you knew. Someone's gonna die. And it wasn't always Rocky Mountain High. There was a couple of other no, John Denver songs that would pop John on, but Denver, it was always though. John Denver. And one time it was Rocky Mountain High in another language. I believe it was French. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh no. So they get kicked off the plane, right? So they get kicked off the plane. Some others, yeah, the kid freaks out because he has this premonition, and and there's a couple other students that get kicked off the plane. I believe there's like seven of them. Um, or six, six of the kids or something like that. Some of them get off. Some of them get off. And then a teacher has to stay off with them. So she ends up staying. And then as they're sitting there, you know, right there by the, by the gate, they see the plane take off. The plane explodes. It blows out the windows of the airport and everybody on the plane dies and they live. I mean, like the survivor's guilt that they must have felt and experienced. And then knowing as you're watching that death is like, Trying to creep up and, you know, get them still because they were supposed to be on that plane. Yeah. It's the worst because it's I'm like, best. no, 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 you got out of this. You get free pass. Nope. No, no, no. No, it's a great, it's, it's so good. It's such, honestly, like, Final Destination is, is a really, really, stressful. really great franchise. It does a great job at stressing me the fuck out. <laughs> it's great. And it has some of the best, and, and it, you, you know, some of the best kill scenes oh, of of any of the most franchise, and honestly, I think I remember two. I think two is where the log the comes through the, come the car. It must be because um, that one I remember. I always remember that one. But um, but yeah, definitely check out Final Destination for at least the beginning scene about aerophobia. But then it has some kick ass kill scenes. Oh. Um, we oh. are like we're gonna keep chatting this one up. This one's gonna be a long one. So we're just now getting into our. Feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. The movie that we're going to be diving into is Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, this was directed by uh, some people that are pretty unknown. You probably have never heard of them. Hmm. Um, Steven Spielberg. Mm-mm. Never heard of that guy? Nope. Uh, John Landis. Who? Uh, Joe Dante. Mm. Uh, and George Miller. Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, is a 1983 American science fiction horror anthology film produced by Steven Spielberg and John Landis as a cinematic interpretation of the 1959 to 1964 TV series created by Rod Serling. The film is a remake of three classic episodes of the original series and includes one original story. Landis directed the prologue and the first segment. Spielberg directed the second, Joe Dante the third, and George Miller directed the final segment. Dante recalled that in the film's original conception, the four stories would be interwoven with characters from one segment appearing in another segment, but later problems with the film precluded this, uh, which included a number of people dying on set, which was really a bummer. Oh, my gosh. Um, Google that. that. Google that. It's an interesting story. Uh, It definitely put a little wrinkle in... It'll just make you sad. Yeah, well, it put a wrinkle in John Landis' career. That's pretty well known. If you're a horror fan, you know all about it. But, um, yeah, kind of a bummer. Um, But... We are just going to focus on the fourth and final segment of the anthology, which is... I don't know how, that's going to, how my drum roll is going to sound on the, uh, on the audio, but oh, I know. it might be terrible. <laughs> but we're going to focus on Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. No problem. 
So this fourth segment is a remake of the original Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Here's the synopsis. While flying through a violent thunderstorm, airline passenger John Valentine is in an airplane. Lab- is it an airplane? He is in an airplane. Lavatory. He's in an airplane laboratory, which is the bathroom. Right. That's what lavatory means. Right. I don't know if you knew that. Washroom. It's the, it's the loo. The airplane loo. Um, he's in an airplane laboratory. As he tries to recover from a panic attack due to a fear of flying, which we know is also called aerophobia or mm-hmm. aviophobia. Aviophobia. Um, the flight attendants coax Valentine from the laboratory and back to his seat. And offer him sedatives, even though they are flight attendants. Then after he sits back down, Valentine notices a hideous gremlin on the wing of the plane. and begins to spiral into another severe panic. Uh, He watches as the creature wreaks havoc on the wing, damaging the plane's engine. Valentine finally snaps and attempts to break the window with an oxygen canister, but is wrestled to the ground by another passenger, an off-duty security guard. Valentine takes the passenger's gun, shoots out the window, causing a breach in the pressurized cabin, and begins firing at the gremlin. This only serves to catch the attention of the gremlin, who rushes up to Valentine and destroys the gun. After they notice that the plane is landing, the gremlin grabs Valentine's face, then simply scolds him for spoiling its fun by wagging its finger in his face. Ugh, such a gremlin thing to do. Such a gremlin thing to do. The creature leaps into the sky as the airplane begins its emergency landing. The police, crew, and passengers write off Valentine as insane. However, the aircraft maintenance crew arrives and finds the damage to the plane's engines complete with claw marks. Meanwhile, a straitjacket Valentine is carried off in an ambulance. Everyone thinks he's crazy. Dun, dun, dun. But gremlins are a folkloric, mischievous creature that specifically preyed on airplanes and mechanical things. I know. You think you're trying to get out of actually reading some of what you had earlier, but I want you to read it. Yeah, I need you to read it. I, uh, but first, let's tackle, let's tackle the beginning because he is stuck in a... In a laboratory, right in the beginning, the very beginning, right we hear the we hear the whole like, and now you're in the Twilight Zone clip, right? And he is stuck in a laboratory. He is having all of the classic symptoms of aerophobia, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's going really through accurate panic attacks. Um, this is the reason why we chose it, really, because you know he is he is truly suffering from a fear of flying. Like he is having that. Panic attacks, sweating, you know, nausea, um, you know, things are spinning around him. He is struggling, you know, in the beginning of this yeah, clip, right? In the beginning really, of this episode. It's bad. So so what is it's intense. He's experiencing those classic symptoms, right? Those right. classic and really those are the classic symptoms of of anxiety related to phobias in general. Right, right. Um, all of those terrible things. And he's in the laboratory and the and the and the plane is starting to hit bad weather. So the flight attendants are like, you know, Mr. Valentine, you need to go back to your seat. You know, 
Um, it's time for you to, to, to get it. Can, can we do anything for you? Can we help you? Blah, blah, blah. And then they eventually, you know, he eventually comes out. To his credit, you know, he does sit there and practice some cognitive reframing and some self-talk really to time, to kind of bring that anxiety down to a more manageable right. level. Right, as, he, as he's going back to Which his seat. Which is a real valuable therapeutic tool. Yeah, he, as he's going back to his seat, he's going, right. he's going, he's breaking down all of these, these statistics, right? He's breaking down like... Like you're right, you're you're right. It's it's much more common for me to you know to die uh, you know uh, in an in a in a car accident. It's much more dex, you know. More, and he's going through all of these statistics that kind of break down. Like, okay, I'm being irrational. I'm being irrational. I'm gonna go back to my seat. I'm gonna calm down. Waitress, you know, yeah, opera, waitress? waitress. Sorry. Oh my gosh, Sherry, my sister's a flight attendant. She would literally murder me if she heard me say that. <laughs> oh, he's gonna um, tell her. Oh yeah, she he is too. He lives down the he lives down the street. That's not fair. Um, not a waitress, a flight attendant, uh, is trying to, to calm him down. She offers him a sedative, uh, which I believe he eventually takes. Uh, but his biggest problem was he looked out the fucking window. Bad idea. Yeah. Right. Not a good deal. And, and originally we think he's just losing it. Right. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's just, things. he's seeing things. You he's know, having hallucinations. His anxiety. You know, he's kind of unsure if he sees them or not as well. But what does he really see? What is he? he what is he actually saying? A gremlin. A gremlin. Tell me what a gremlin is. You talked about it a, a briefly a minute ago, but I want to hear the. I want to hear you actually read the the description of what a gremlin is because I think it's really cool. So a gremlin is a folkloric mischievous creature that causes malfunctions in aircraft or other machinery. While depictions of these creatures vary, past findings present the animal to be similar to the chupacabra with spiky backs, large strange eyes and small clawed frames that featured sharp teeth. Their origin is found in myths among airmen claiming that gremlins were responsible for sabotaging aircraft. Specifically, it originates in the Royal Air Force slang in the 1920s among the British pilot British pilots stationed in Malta, the Middle East and India. 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 In, India. India. <laughs> India. Oh, man. In, India. 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 <laughs> so, um, so, okay. So, without you having to read it all, because we've, we've gone through this a couple times now, um, gremlins are, really had their origins in World War I, right? Mm-hmm. Pilots came back. They were traumatized. They had PTSD from dealing with all of the crazy shit that went on in, in World War I, mm-hmm. right? They created this this mythical creature, creature that basically fucked up their planes that and was responsible, responsible for, for their malfunctions for why they crashed and, and whatnot, right? Well, yeah, and it was a way for the airmen to kind of um, deflect their own feelings of anxiety about these planes just crashing out of nowhere or things happening out of nowhere. See their buddies die by right. flying, you know, falling down to so it so was they a said way to explain it, like a way to kind of pass the buck or pass the blame so that it didn't lay on their fellow airmen, you know. So these and guys that, that of... crashed, they could blame it on these on these little creatures mm-hmm. that were on the wings that were that were ripping up wires and doing stuff that was causing them to crash. Right. And um one of the military pilots uh in the Luftwaffe? Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. Luft, Luftwaffe. Almost. Um, in the Battle of Britain during the summer of 1940, uh, was quoted as saying, 
uh, his name is Bressy, was quoted as saying, morale among the RAF pilots would have suffered if they pointed fingers to blame at each other. It was far better to make the scapegoat a fantastic and comical creature than the other member of your squadron. So the gremlins were a mischievous creature that just wanted to fuck with planes. Right. That was their only deal. So right. they just apparently lived in the clouds when we just hop on the planes. They did not come about until, you know, airplanes came about. And, and so World War One happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we have uh, uh, you know, this, this basically original... There's no mention of gremlins before the 20th century, right? Mm-mm. So this was a 20th century invention, which is really fun because, you know, we all grew up with gremlins as as this uh, horror movie that, well, horror-ish movie that featured these little creatures that screwed Never with toasters and, and yeah, and, and screwed with toasters. But they, but they all, but they obviously had a connection to this myth, right? Because they all screwed with technology. They were always messing with, you know, wires and doing weird stuff with, and, and had this mischievous quality about them, right? They weren't really trying to like, uh, murder you. No, they were kind of equal opportunity tricksters. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. There's, there's all these, there's all these, uh, uh, original scripts, like multiple versions of the original script of gremlins that are floating around the original scripts were way more gory. Dark, oh, gory. so much more gory. It's awesome. You should have, uh, if you uh, get online and check out uh, uh, some of the early scripts of, of the Gremlins because they're really gnarly, <laughs> like way gnarly. Um, but that's where we get this this thing that we all grew up with that we think of. We think Gremlins as these, you know, the Mogwai turns into these Gremlin Unless guys. Unless you read a lot of Roald Dahl, right? And he right. was a he was a member of the British RAF as well, right? The Royal Air Force. So he was a Royal Air Force guy. He was he experienced this folklore firsthand, and he used it when he wrote his first short story, The Gremlins, in which Gremlins were tiny little men who lived on RAF fighters, and. Doll called the wives of the gremlins Fifinellas and their male children widgets and their female children Fliberty Gibbets. Yep, I remember you these. Know? I remember uh, running across those names in a number of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool how something that that is a is a twentieth century myth invention. Which has got to be kind of rare, right? I mean, a lot of our myths and our, our story, I mean, I'm sure we have our them. Folklore. But our folklore really comes from ancient history or we'll fairy tales or medieval and renaissance time. But this is something that's really uniquely 20th century, which I think is really kind of a cool thing. Yeah, we'll have to do some research and see if we can find anything else or see if, you know, the populace has any other ideas. So going back to our movie, right? He sees this gremlin. Gremlin's fucking with him. Right, he's, he's screwing with him on on the on the 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 wing. Eventually, he tries to shoot him, and the gremlin just wags his finger in his face. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you mess with my yeah, butt, you screwed buddy. me, buddy. And then just hops away, and nobody sees him. You know, just like in the original, in the William Shatner one, right? The original episode was was the Twilight Zone episode. Uh, it was episode one twenty three, um, and interestingly enough, it was directed by the original episode in the original Twilight series. Was directed by Richard Donner, um, who is. Uh, a horror icon. The guy directed The Omen, which is one of my my favorite um, um, horror movies of all time, uh, and Omen Three: Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Um, he also did Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Scrooged, um, 
pretty badass director. Like, that's a pretty good resume. Yeah. Um, he also did a ton of, like, iconic TV and a bunch of other movies. Um, but that, aim, that episode famously stars uh, William Shatner. Um, our remake, by the way, I did, again, I didn't mention um, Valentine, is jo- John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Um, I love John Lithgow. And he was so good in that, in that uh, as, as John Valentine, too. Um, but the original episode stars William Shatner, um, and he's a guy who had just gotten out of a mental facility because he had had a breakdown on a plane originally. Um, and then he's nervously sitting through takeoff and seems to be doing all right. And then he sees the gremlin on the wing, which, you know, the 1960s gremlin is, it's a little cheesier. He's really? more, he's more in a, he's like in an ape costume. Uh, it's really bad. With a, with, with just a different mask on. Um, but it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I loved it. It was, it's still... One of the most remarkable Twilight Zone episodes of all time. One of my favorites. Um, and watching it again, you know, after the movie remake, it, it, it really highlighted some of the discrepancies between the old mm-hmm. one and the new one. But uh, both are awesome, man. They're fucking great. Yeah. Um, so that's Twilight Zone, the movie. Definitely touches on, on aerophobia yeah. with John Lithgow's freak out. Does a pretty um, good And the job. original does as well with, with Shatner's mental issues and definitely has some problems with flying you can you can see the you know he's, anxiety, he, he's flying with anxiety. he's flying with a woman who you can't quite tell i think it's his girlfriend or his wife mm-hmm. um and she's trying to help him through the flight and all that kind of stuff so it, it it's it fit right fits right into our little uh our little phobia deal um we're flying in a couple weeks yeah we'll be going to new orleans which uh i'm definitely not going to be thinking about any of this shit you know while we're flying at all. You'll just use I'm not the gonna Sky be about Guru app. Final Destination or Gremlins Sky on the Guru Wings. Sky Guru app. Sky Guru is going to get me through. Um, I'm not going to think about flying into a mountain when we go across the Rockies, uh, going to Denver, or because we have, we have a stop through in Denver. I'm not going to be thinking of any of that stuff. Or, or fucking Druid ghosts, you know, taking over the plane. It's um, bad timing for this episode, I guess. None of that stuff. Won't be thinking of any of that. So next episode we'll be tackling... Algophobia. Algophobia? 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 I don't know yet. We'll find out. The fear of pain. Mm. I don't think anybody likes pain. I don't know. Some people like pain. That's true. If you even like twist my nipples a little bit, not a fan. No. No. Not a fan at all. Um, Smack my back. I will hit you in the face. So you can dole out a nice sexy spanking. I'll throw a spanking in there yeah. every now and then. Yeah. You know. Uh, but uh, yeah, fear of pain. So I don't think I'm, I'm not a big fan. Um. There are some people who enjoy it, but I think there's some. But I think most people are not, you know, they wouldn't intentionally dive themselves into actively seek it out into seek out pain, right? I mean, there's a there's a community. I don't know. Prove us wrong. There's definitely a community out there that that enjoys it, but maybe not to the extent that some horror movies might uh, might be doling it out, right? So, right. if you have some movie ideas for algophobia for the fear of pain. Let us know on social media. We would love to hear your suggestions for what we need to tackle for the next episode, um, what movies we need to watch, because I have some ideas of the, the movies that I want to dive into for this uh, this phobia, but we would love to hear your uh, suggestions as well. Yeah, he um, hasn't seen everything yet. I've, I've seen a lot, but I am definitely uh, still, there's still a lot of movies that I need to see. So um, we really enjoyed this episode, guys. We really had a lot of fun researching it and had a lot of fun digging yeah. into the phobia and the movies associated with it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, stay afraid.
stay very afraid. Bye, guys.